Section 14 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ali Mandel, Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Chapter 14. Retby. Retby, September 20th. Dearest Mamma, you might have prepared me for what Lady Theodosia looks like, because when I arrived yesterday, and was shown into her boudoir, and found her lying on the sofa, covered with dogs and cats, I as nearly as possible laughed out loud, and it would have been so rude. She had evidently been asleep, and it looked like a mountain having an earthquake when she got up, and animals rolled off her in all directions. A poodle, two fox terriers, a toy spitz, and a cat and a kitten, had all been sleeping in the nooks her outline makes. They all barked in different keys, and between saying, "'Down, Hector! Quiet, Fluff! Hush, hush, Fanny! Did I know it was a stranger?' etc., etc., she got in that she was glad to see me, and hoped you were better. When she stands up she is colossal, her body dressed in the last fashion, and then the queerest face with no neck, and lemon-coloured hair parted down the middle, and not matching a bit with the chignon of thick plates at the back. It looks as if it were strapped on with a black velvet band that comes across her forehead, like in the pictures on the nursery screen at home that the great-aunts made when they were children. She seems kind as possible, and has the fattest wheezy voice. Her room is appalling. It is full of early Victorian furniture, and horrid alabaster statuette things, under glass cases, and then a few modern armchairs covered in gorgeous brocade. But it is all clawed by the cats, and soiled by the dog's muddy feet, and you are unable to make up your mind where it will be safe to sit. When tea came in, which it did immediately, you can't think what it was like. A St. Bernard and another poodle joined the party, and while we were trying to get something to eat and drink, they all begged or barked or pushed their noses under the muffin dish lid, or took cakes from the side table, and Lady Theodosia kept saying, "'Clever darlings, see? They know where their favourite bits are.' It is impossible to have a connected conversation with her, because between every few words she puts in ejaculations about the dogs." I was obliged to simply bolt my crumpet like a Frenchman, to keep it from being snatched from me. Just as we were finishing tea, Mr. Doran and three men came in. He is a teeny-weeny man, with a big head and rather weak eyes, and he and she do look odd together. What could it have been like when they trotted down the aisle after getting married? It is a mercy Lady Theodosia is only your second cousin, and that her shape has not descended to our branch of the family. All the children, as she calls the animals— barked again when the men came in. There was only a miserable tea left, and when Mr. Doran ventured to say the dogs had made things rather messy, Lady Theodosia annihilated him. It was as if he had insulted her nearest and dearest. But one of the men got quietly to the bell, and when the footman came, they grasped the situation and brought some clean things, so tea finished better than it had begun. Just before they went to dress, Lady Theodosia remembered to introduce them. The only young one is Mr. Roper, the great shot, and the other two are Sir Augustus Grant and Captain Fielden. They are oldish. When they had gone, Lady Theodosia said to me that men were a great nuisance as a rule, but that she had a pet friend, a dear docile creature, 
so useful with the dogs, and he was coming back by the 6.30 train. You would have laughed if you could have seen him when he did arrive. A fair, humble thing, with a squeaky voice and obsequious manners. He had been up to town to get the dogs new muzzles, as the muzzling order has just been put in force in this county. It appears Lady Theodosia has him always here, and he attends to the dogs for a home. But I would rather be a stable boy, wouldn't you, Mamma? His name is Frederick Harrington, and Lady Theodosia calls him Frederick when she is pleased, and Harrington, if anything puts her out. And as she says it, Harrington, sounds the fattest word you ever heard. I was glad to get to my room. Most of the house that I have yet seen, which was not refurnished when she married in 1870, is really fine, with beautiful old furniture and china. Only everything within reach is scratched and spoiled by the children. It must make the family portraits turn in their frames to see Fluff eating one of their tapestry footstools, or the cats clawing the Venetian velvet chairs. There was a dinner party in the evening. As we went upstairs to dress, Lady Theodosia told me about it. She said she was obliged to entertain all the aborigines twice a year, and that most people gave them garden parties, but she found that too fatiguing. So she had two dinners in the shooting season, and two at Easter, to which she asked every one. She just puts all their names in a bag, and counts out twelve couples for each party, and then she makes up the number to thirty-six, with odd creatures, daughters and old maids, and sons and curates, etc., and she finds it a capital plan. She said, I give em plenty to eat and drink, and they draw for partners, and all go home as happy as possible, feeling there has been no favoritism. She explained that the lawyers and doctors enjoyed having their food with the earls and baronets, much more than just prancing about lawns, and when I asked her how the earls and baronets liked it, she said there were only three or four, and that they had to put up with it or stay at home, and she had done it now for thirty years, and they were accustomed to it. Besides, she had the best chef in England, and anyway, it was a nice change for people not knowing who they were going to be put next to. It took her such a long time to tell me all this, and to see me to my room, that I was almost late, and she did not get into the state drawing-room until all the guests had arrived. You never saw anything so funny as it was, Mamma. Mr. Doran was trying to be polite to the odd collection, evidently not quite knowing which was which. Old Lord and Lady Devenant were glaring at the rest of the company from the hearth-rug, with a look of, You invade this mat at your peril. Sir Christopher Harford, paying extravagant compliments to the parson's wife, I knew which they were because I heard them announced, and the squire, and Mrs. de Lacy, who came over with the conqueror, standing apart with their skinny daughters, all holding their noses in the air. Everybody seemed to be in their best clothes, and most of the women had flowers and tulle, or little black feathers sticking up in their hair, and bare red arms, and skirts inches off the ground in front, you know the look. But everything seemed to be going beautifully after Lady Theodosia rolled in. She does not walk like ordinary people. Mr. Doran did the handing round of the drawing papers, and they were Marshall and Snellgrove, and Lewis and Allenby, and Debenham and Freebody. And if you drew Lewis, you went in with whoever drew Allenby, and so on. It was a capital plan, only for one incident. I was near Lady Theodosia when Mr. Harrington rushed from the other end of the room, and whispered to her in an agitated voice that the Dickens, 
of Lady Devnant's Jones, was Dr. Pluffield. She was not on speaking terms with him, having quarrelled with him for sending her teething powders by mistake, when it ought to have been something for her nerves. All Lady Theodosia said was, "'Harrington, you're a fool. What are their little differences to me? I give them the best dinner in England, and they must settle the rest themselves.' So poor Mr. Harrington had to go back and smooth down Lady Devon as best he could, and presently we all started for the banqueting-hall. There were several really decent county people there, of course, but they all looked much the same as the others, except that they had diamonds on. Old Admiral Brudnell, who has a crimson face, was taking in the younger Miss de Lacy, and just in front of him were Dr. Pluffield and Lady Devnant, whom the Admiral hates. I heard him say, getting purple like a gobbler, "'Come on, come on! I don't mean to let that old catamaran get in front of me!' And he dragged Miss de Lacy through the doorway, bumping the others to get past, and she told me afterwards her funny bone had got such a knock that she could hardly hold her soup-spoon. It was quainter even than the frump's dinner that Godmamma gave. I had a very nervous young man with red hair and glasses to take me in. I drew Snellgrove, so he was marshal. He evidently had not understood a bit about the drawing, and kept calling me Miss Snellgrove, until I was obliged to say to him, But my name is not Snellgrove, any more than yours is Marshall. But my name is Marshall, he said, and I was told to find a lady of the name of Snellgrove, and I wondered at the strange coincidence. He looked so dreadfully distressed that I had to explain to him, and he got so nervous at his mistake that he hardly spoke for the rest of dinner. The dishes were exquisite, and Lady Theodosia enjoyed them all, in spite of Fanny, that is the spits, constantly falling off her lap, and having to be fished for by her own footman, who always stands behind her chair, ready for these emergencies. I call it very plucky of the dog to go on trying, for what lap Lady Theodosia has is so steep it must be like trying to sleep on the dome of St. Paul's. Mr. Roper sat at my other side, and after a while he talked to me. He said he came every year to shoot partridges, and it was always the same. On the night he arrived there was always this dinner party, and some years the most absurd things had happened. But Lady Theodosia did not care a button. He thought there were a good many advantages in being a duke's daughter. They don't dare to offend her, he said, although they are ready to tear one another's eyes out when they are put with the wrong people. Lady Theodosia puffed a good deal as dinner went on. I could hear her from where I sat. She is in slate mourning, so below her diamond necklace, which is magnificent, but has not been cleaned for years. She had a set of five lockets, on a chain all made of bog oak, and afterwards I found each locket had a portrait of some pet animal who was dead in it and a piece of its hair. You would never guess that she is Lady Cecilia's sister, except for the bulgy eyes. Towards the end of dinner, Mr. Doran got so gay, he talked and laughed so you would not have recognized him, as ordinarily he is a timid little thing. When we returned to the great drawing-room, it was really comic. Lady Theodosia did not make any pretense of talking to the people. Her whole attention was with the children, who had just been let loose from her boudoir, where her maid had been keeping them company while we dined. They were as jealous as possible of Fanny, who never leaves any part of Lady Theodosia she can stick on to. She is so small that she gets lots of nice rides asleep on the folds of her velvet train. 
Most of the company were terrified at this avalanche of dogs, and kept saying, when they came and sniffed and barked at them, "'Poor doggy! Nice doggy! Good doggy!' etc., in different keys of nervousness. I felt glad Agnes had insisted that I should not put on one of my best dresses. She highly disapproves of this place. As well spend time in the Jardin des Plantes with the cage doors undone, she says. Now and then, when Lady Theodosia could bring herself to remember she had a party, she would make a dash at someone, and as likely as not call them by a wrong name. Lady Devnant and Mrs. de Lacy, and the few more county people, made a little ring with her by themselves, and gradually the doctors and parsons and lawyers' families got together, and so things settled down, and we were getting on quite nicely when the men came in. It did all seem queer after the extreme ceremony and politeness in France. When she had fed them, Lady Theodosia seemed to think her duty to her guests had ended. Mr. Doran was still as gay as possible, and insisted upon Mrs. Pluffield singing. It was a love-and-tombstone kind of song, and sounded so silly and old-fashioned. And after that lots of people had to sing, and I felt so sorry for them. But soon their carriages came, and they were able to go home. If I were they, nothing would induce me to come again. I got up early to write this as the post goes out in an unearthly hour. So now I must go down to breakfast. Goodbye, dear Mamma. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Retby, September 22nd. Dearest Mamma, I was surprised yesterday when I got down to breakfast to find Lady Theodosia already there. She is awfully active, and puffs about everywhere like a steam engine. She will pour out the tea and coffee herself, and there is just the one long table, not a lot of little ones like at Nasby. But our party is quite small. The four other guns were to come from the neighborhood. Lady Theodosia asks you if you take sugar and cream, and then perhaps a dog takes off her attention, and as likely as not, when she remembers the pouring out, you get just what you have said you don't take. I wonder she does not leave it to the servants. Mr. Doran was quiet as a mouse, and said he had a bad headache. The three other men had enormous breakfasts, and did not speak much, except that Captain Fielden asked if we were not coming out to lunch. And Lady Theodosia said of course we were. She intended to drive me in her pony carriage. When they had all started, she took me back to the boudoir. As it was a Wednesday, and the state apartments were on show, and she hates meeting the tourists from Bradford. I think it must be dreadful having to let everybody look through your home, just because you have fine pictures, and it is historical, and a prince got murdered there a hundred years ago. Mr. Doran inherited it through his mother, I think you said, as there are no Lord Repis left. I went to get the photograph of you I always have on my dressing table, to show it to Lady Theodosia and I met quite a troop of tourists on the stairs, and all the place railed off with fat red cords, and everything being explained to them by a guide who has the appearance of a very haughty butler, and lives here just to do this, and look after the things. The tourists stared at me because I was inside the rope, just as if I had been a royalty, and whispered and nudged one another, and one said, "'Is that Lady Theodosia?' And I felt inclined to call out, "'No, not by twelve stone!' It was funny seeing them. The housekeeper hates it. She says it takes six housemates the rest of the day removing their traces, 
and getting rid of the smell. And as for the bank holiday ones, they have no respect for the house at all. Lady Theodosia told me the housekeeper came to her nearly weeping after the last one. Oh, my lady, she said, they treat us as if we were ruins. Mr. Harrington had not been allowed to shoot, because the St. Bernard and Fluff hated their muzzles so when they were tried on, that he had to go into the local harness-maker and have them altered under his own eye. He got back just as we were starting for lunch, and Lady Theodosia made him come with us and sent the groom on with the lunch carts. She drives one of those old-fashioned, very low pony chaise, with a seat up behind for the groom, and two such ducks of ponies. There hardly seemed room for me beside her, and the spring seemed dreadfully down on her side. She generally sits in the middle when alone, Mr. Harrington told me afterwards. She noticed about the springs herself and said, "'Frederick, you must lean all your weight on the other side.' We must have looked odd going along. I squashed in beside her with a poodle and Fanny at my feet, and poor Mr. Harrington clinging to one side like grim death, so as to try and get the balance more level. It seemed quite a long drive, and lunch was laid out on a trestle table in a farmhouse garden, and was a splendid repast, with hot entrees, and Lady Theodosia had some of them all. It appears Captain Fielden and Sir Augustus Grant are constantly staying here. They help to ride Mr. Dorn's horses and shoot his birds. They are all old friends and rather hard up, so Mr. Doran just keeps them. He, Mr. Doran, seems different after meals. From being as quiet as a lamb, he gets quite coarse and blunt. The rest of the party were just the kind of neighbors that always come to shoot. Mr. Roper told me they never have smart parties, with only the best shots and heaps of beautiful ladies. Mr. Doran asks just anyone he likes, or he happens to meet, and the shooting is some of the best in England, and awfully well preserved. Lady Theodosia had a very short tweed skirt on, a black velvet jacket with bugles, and a boat-shaped hat and cock's feathers, but she always wears the black velvet band round her forehead. Her ankles seemed to be falling over the tops of her boots, and as she only walked from the carriage to the lunch table, I don't think her skirt need have been so short, do you, Mamma? But although she was got up like an old gypsy, you could not help seeing through it all that she really is well-bred. I don't think even Agnes would dare to be uppish with her. They live here at Retby all the year round. The townhouse is only open for three days, when Lady Theodosia comes up for the drawing-room, and they seem to have a lot of these rather dull, oldish men-friends who make long visits. Going home after lunch, Lady Theodosia took several of the pies and joints to poor people in the cottages near, and she was so nice to them and so friendly. She knows them all and all their affairs, and never makes mistakes with their names, or as rude and discourteous as she is to the people at the dinner party. They all adore her. She hates the middle classes, she says. She would like to live in Russia, where there are only the upper and lower. When we got back, Lord and Lady Tyneville had arrived with their two daughters. They are about my age, and quite nice and pretty, but their mother dresses them so queerly, they look rather guys. I am glad, Mamma, that you have none of those silly ideas, 
and that I have not got to have my hair in a large bun with ribbons twisted in it for dinner. They seem quite accustomed to stay here, and know all the dogs and their ways. They are much nicer than French girls, but not so attractive as Miss Latouche. We had an early tea in the hall, and after tea we played croquet until it got dark. Though one could not get on very well, as the dogs constantly carried off the balls in their mouths, and one had to guess where to put them back. And in that way, Lady Theodosia, who is my partner, managed to get through three hoops she wouldn't have otherwise. It isn't much fun playing so late in the year, as it gets so cold. I think the elder Miss Everly is in love with Mr. Roper, because she blushed, just as they do in books when he came in, and from being quiet and nice got rather gigglish. I hope I shan't do that when I am in love. We had quite a gay dinner. Lady Tyneville talks all the time, and says such funny things. I am really enjoying myself very much in spite of there being no excitements, like the Marquise and the Vicomte. Today we are going to make an excursion into Hermanster to see the cathedral, and tomorrow they shoot again. Goodbye, dear Mamma, with love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Retby, Thursday. Dearest Mamma, I don't think I care about looking at churches much. They don't smell here as they do in France, but on the other hand they look deserted, and as if no one cared a pin and there are generally repairs going on, or monuments piled up at the side waiting to be put back or something that doesn't look tidy. In the big ones, I mean, like York and Hermanster that we saw yesterday. Mr. Doran drove us in on the coach, and Lady Theodosia sat on the box beside him. It was too wonderful to see her climbing up, and from the near side she completely hid Mr. Doran. The reins looked as if they were staying up by themselves. You could not even see his hands." Her mountainous outline blocked all the space. Miss Everly and Mr. Roper and I and Sir Augustus sat in the back behind the box seat, and the other Everly sat with her father in the back, while Mr. Harrington had to go inside with Lady Tyneville, as she was afraid of the cold wind. They must have had a nice time, for both poodles were in there too, and one terrier, and we could hear them barking constantly. Fanny, who has a wonderful sense of balance, was poised somewhere on Lady Theodosia. The horses are beauties, and we went at a splendid pace. Sir Augustus doesn't seem so old when he is sitting by you. He said a lot of nice things to me. We went straight to the Red Lion and had lunch, and it was a horrid meal, everything over or underdone, and messy and nasty. The dinner at a teeny place like Caudebec in France was delicious. I wonder why food at country hotels in England is so bad. At Retby, Lady Theodosia won't touch anything unless it is absolutely perfect. She sent a dish away yesterday just because a whiff of some flavoring she does not like came to her. But at the Red Lion, she did not grumble at all. It must be for the same reason that wetting their feet doesn't give French people cold if it is at a national sport. That made her put up with the lunch because it was English and had always been the same. I was glad to have a nice piece of cheese. All the time I was with Godmamma, I was not allowed to, as it isn't considered proper for girls there. And when I asked Victorine why one day, she told me it gave ideas, and was too exciting, whatever that could mean. So at the Red Lion, I just had two helpings to see, as this is the first chance I have had, 
as you don't care for cheese at home. But nothing happened. I did not feel at all excited. So it must be because they are French, mustn't it? First, we went to a curiosity shop before going to the cathedral, and there was such an odd man owned it. My good Gregson, Lady Theodosia called him. He seemed quite pleased, although we none of us bought anything, and so friendly with Lady Theodosia. When we had finished trotting about looking at the old streets and the cathedral, we went to buy some mauve silk to line a cushion that Lady Tyneville has embroidered as a present to Lady Theodosia. It is so funny in these country shops. They always bring you what you don't want. Lady Tyneville said she wanted mauve and showed her pattern. And after some time, the girl who served her came back and said, Oh, we are out of mauve, but green is being very much worn. We went back to the Red Lion, and Mr. Doran and Captain Fielden joined us. They had been at the club all the time, and were full of local news about the cub hunting, etc. On the way back to Rugby, Sir Augustus told me he was struck with me the moment he came into Lady Theodosia's boudoir, and he tried to take hold of my hand. I call it very queer, don't you? I suppose it is because they think I am young and want encouraging, but I simply detest it, and I told him so. I said, why should you want to hold my hand? And when he looked foolish and mumbled some answer, I just said, because if you are afraid of falling, and it is to hold on, there is the outside rail of the coach for you. I hate being pawed. He said I was a disagreeable little thing and would never get on in life. But you can see, Mamma, how everything has changed since you were young. Lady Theodosia put on such a splendid purple brocade tea gown for tea. But Fluff would jump up at the tray, and succeeded at last in upsetting a whole jug of cream over her. She was sitting in a very low chair that it is difficult to get out of, and she looked quite piteous with billows of cream rolling off her. It got into Fanny's nose and made her sneeze, and that annoyed the other dogs, and they all began to fight. And the St. Bernard joined in, and in his excitement he overturned the whole table and tray. You never saw such a catastrophe. The dogs got wild with joy and left off fighting to gobble cakes. And when Mr. Harrington, who had been away writing letters, rushed in to see what the commotion was, he did catch it. We extricated Lady Theodosia from masses of broken china and dribbles of jam, in the most awful rage. She said it was entirely Mr. Harrington's fault for not being there to look after the dogs. Considering she had sent him to write about their muzzles, I do call it hard, don't you? Mr. Doran came in, and when he saw the best crown derby smashed on the floor and the teapot all bent, he became transformed and swore dreadfully. He said such rude words, Mamma, that I cannot even write them, and it ended up with, If you keep a damned puppy to look after your other damned puppies, why the devil don't you see he does it? I hope you aren't awfully shocked, Mamma, at me writing that. I was obliged to, to show you what awful creatures men really are underneath, even if their outsides look as meek as Mr. Doran's. Lady Theodosia burst into tears, and it was altogether a fearful scene if it had not been so funny to look at. We none of us got any tea, for by the time Lady Theodosia had been got to dry her eyes, and things were cleared up, we were all only too glad to disperse. I'm sure a lot of children could not be so naughty as these dogs are. Dinner began by being rather strained, but gradually got quite gay. Mr. Doran would have up three different brands of champagne for everyone to try, 
and the men seemed to like them very much. By dessert everything was lively again, and dinner ended by Mr. Doran singing The Hounds of the Maynil, with one foot on the table as gay as a lark. But wasn't it tiresome, Mamma? When we got into the drawing-room, Lady Theodosia said we had had a long day, and must be tired, and she packed the two Everleys and me off to bed before the men came in. And so here I am writing to you, because it is ridiculous to suppose I am going to sleep at this hour. Agnes and I leave by the early train on Saturday morning. So good-bye till then, dear Mamma. Love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. End of section 14